Hey everyone, welcome to the OFD Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Voles, Site Manager, Emperor, Supreme Warlord, and Defender of the Faith over at OneFootDown.com on the SB Nation Network. And joining me per usual, Jude Seymour, Brendan McAlinden, guys that uh, betrayed me last week with uh, my friend Greg. Uh, but uh, they're back. <laughs> but, but they're back on the show. I'm a, I have a good, solid heart. Guys, what's up? Uh, you were missed. You know, four, four is usually a crowd on this podcast, so we try to avoid that as much as humanly possible, but you, uh, we still need our Supreme Warlord, Defender of the Faith, and so on and so forth. So, welcome back. It was yeah, an did- excellent stuff. I, uh, I'm just glad that we were able to come to a consensus on uh, last week's pod that the hot dog is superior. Um, and obviously <laughs> that will continue on through uh, this podcast, right, guys? I think the only thing that made me mad was that Jude didn't have a meltdown when Greg agreed with me about Julian Love's five-star status. <laughs> it's like it's like Jude will, Jude will fucking throw it down when it's me. But when it's Greg, he ba- he's going to back off. Well, for the record, I don't I don't agree with anyone whose assessment is that Julian Love is five star. But I feel like I was argue- waiting for the throwdown. I was waiting for the throwdown. It didn't happen. I was like, I've man. literally literally beaten that one to death. So I did, you know, at the risk of uh, continuing to and also go coming after a guest. You know, he's he was nice enough to come on our show and for me to. Uh, to get all screamy with him. I mean, it's, it's sort of like you hurt the ones you love the most, you know? So, Oh, is that, is that it? I've never, I've never felt so much love. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we're going to, we got a, we got a pretty eclectic show tonight, I think. Uh, And it's early. This is our, this is a much earlier recording time uh, for the three of us. And so I have not even begun to drink. Uh, so I, I apologize to anyone now um, for sober Josh uh, because uh, mistakes will be made uh, and I can't blame them on a uh, on a glass of booze, which is unfortunate. So uh, but before we get uh, any farther, uh, I got a review and you awesome. guys you guys want to hear that? All right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, is it a five star review? It is a five star review. That's okay. that is what is so solid. Uh, and just a reminder to everybody out there, if you go to Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and a review. If you do leave a review, I will read that thing word for word. And I think this week's version is is one of the – I don't know. I, Jude read something about being wrong, I think, last week. Uh, so <laughs> that was a solid use of me not being there. That was fantastic. Uh, uh, but this one is from a, uh, from a Dial H fan club. It was a five-star review. Uh, it says to Bebenberg, Utra does not listen to podcasts. He has far too many enemy, <laughs> enemies to worry about. However, if he did, I would highly rec- recommend the gents of one foot down. Not only does the triumvirate talk about the best school and football team known to man, my beloved Notre Dame. They also talk about everything ranging from frozen pizzas to children's cartoons. Thanks for the great <laughs> episodes and fun times. I'm a boneless wing guy. Give me all the chicken McNuggets. Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> wow. Obviously, this is uh, this is the Twitter. I, I'm pretty sure this is the the Twitter fan that at the soccer to the other day uh, uh, about he, he, he was a couple, couple weeks behind in his listening, but he had made a, a re, you had made another reference yes. to that Netflix show that you watched that I don't watch at all. So. Oh, you have to. 
I and, I don't I watch had, the show. I read the books, and they are absolutely phenomenal. My what favorite. Is it, Last Kingdom is that what it's called? Yeah, the Saxon <laughs> series by Bernard Cornwell. Absolutely. And the tweet that set it off was in the in the third. No, I guess it was in the uh, in the second season uh, after after King Alfred had died, and they he had pardoned Uhtred. Spoilers, and, dude. And, yeah, spoilers, spoilers galore. But they, you know, but then. Uh, they're they're kind of coming after him uh, to kick him out basically. They're they're not going to honor the king's wishes. Uh, Utru talks very passionately about Alfred, a man who they had a bit at odds for for many years uh, for lots of different reasons. But he shouted out, "He was my king!" And it's just like waterfalls out of my eyes. It's like goddamn right there, Utru. I don't know. So I put that tweet out there. Like if if you didn't cry watching that, I don't even know you. We can't be friends. <laughs> it's, it's a fantastic. It's a it's a powerful moment. It's a powerful moment. All right. And that's what so, I'm about here is powerful moments. Uh, <laughs> so, so what's on the agenda for tonight? So tonight we were we were gonna get uh, we're gonna get into a little bit of um uh, what happened with the Notre Dame prayer and uh, Unity Walk. Uh, okay. We're gonna talk about uh, uh, Mike Bray making it into the news with some comments. Uh, we're gonna talk about uh, some testing. And uh, Brendan and I had a sit down with uh, Rivals uh, recruiting writer, Mike Singer. So uh, if you stay with us here, we are going to slide right on to that interview when we come back uh, for the rest of the show. All right. And joining us on the OFD podcast is Mike Singer, our recruiting analyst over at Blue and Gold Illustrated on the Rivals Network. Mike, happy post Father's Day, sir. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, I actually had a couple people tell me happy Father's Day, and I'm like, you know, thanks. I mean, I've got a cat. I don't have any kids, but, you know, I'll take it. Um, oh. so, I mean, literally, uh, the, uh, uh, former Notre Dame target and, and his mom in the past class. <laughs> I haven't heard from this lady in months. Like, we had built a good relationship. Uh, I hadn't heard from her in six or seven months, and she just texted me out of the blue. Happy Father's Day. I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll take it. You know, my cat's pretty fat, so he's like a little child. But <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Brendan's got third, third on the way, and I got three in. And hell, yesterday was uh, my oldest son's first communion, so it's like Father's Day didn't really exist for me. <laughs> and you I guys spent it all day. Hey, you guys are doing podcasts, so hey, it's keeping you young. Yeah, it certainly is. So, you know, speaking of, uh, you know, you get that call from, uh, from a recruit's mom, let, let, let's dive right on into it. Uh, All right. Look, I'm going to start off with something a little heavy here, uh, just because uh, I think this is the most important thing moving forward with Notre Dame and recruiting. And it's that, you know, I had stated, I you know, the coronavirus, COVID-19, this is dramatically affecting Notre Dame's uh, ability to recruit in this class. So, but at the same time, it still thinks I still think that you know fans still have a uh, kind of a warped view and a warped opinion about how this class should go out. Like when they're losing like you know Georgia players to a Georgia school or or something like that. It's like you know Brian Kelly can't recruit. What's going on here? Blah blah blah. Yet this is a whole different time. I mean, we're not you know this is a a really weird time that we're living in. Uh, I mean, would you say that's accurate? That coronavirus, it, it, this isn't making excuses for Notre Dame's work ethic on the road or, or anything like that. But would you would you say that the coronavirus has dramatically affected Notre Dame's 2021 recruiting class? One thousand percent agree with what everything you're saying there. Especially you mentioned the 
a Georgia kid going to a Georgia school. I don't I don't know if you just pulled that out of your butt or if you were, well, were well, kind of well, <laughs> foreshadowing. literally talking about you could be literally talking about Caleb Edwards, a, a defensive back from um, Duke Calla. Don't get that twisted with Dracula, because when you see that high school, it, it looks like Dracula for the first time. It's Ducala. Um, he's literally expected to be picking Georgia Tech. And Notre Dame entered this recruitment like three or four weeks ago. And he's here's the interesting thing. He's probably only 40 minutes from Georgia Tech. He's in like northeast Atlanta. Um, Georgia Tech's right in the center of Atlanta. And he's never visited campus there, but... Um, he's also never visited Notre Dame, but Georgia Tech's the close school and everyone's, um, everyone, including myself is expecting him to pick the yellow jacket. So I like, what, what do you do there? I mean, you have a virtual visit. If, if you guys read my articles, typically if I write virtual visit in, in an article, I got quotation marks around it because it's not a real visit. It, you can't replace being at Notre Dame, it is one of the schools that you have to be there to really understand what makes it special. So I actually think Notre Dame's done a tremendous job during COVID in recruiting. Look, they've landed all these commitments, including what? Um, what Riley Barnes? I had transfers that I haven't visited before. Uh, I guess McLeod had played at a game. He was, on, he was on the road. I don't know if you count that, but Philip Riley, let me go look at his offer list and the guys uh, are the schools that he did not choose. And, and, you know, he had Clemson offer. I don't know how much the Tigers were pushing for Philip Riley, but uh, I mean, he's from Washington. He could have just gone to Washington. Didn't he had the Florida schools. Uh, this is Philip Riley, four-star cornerback down in the Tampa area is from um, state of Washington up in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, he had never been to Notre Dame, but he picked the Fighting Irish. And Notre Dame didn't even offer him that early. It was March 20-something, and, and they offered him then, and he committed six weeks later. So, um, yeah, I, I think all things considered, uh, Notre Dame's done a really good job during these times. So what is a, so when you say virtual visit, what do we know about – do you know what in, is entitled in a virtual visit? Is it just somebody grabs a selfie stick and takes you around <laughs> campus? What exactly is a virtual visit? Is I that like something the thought of that Tommy walking around the selfie stick. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, or a GoPro on his head. Yeah, I want to say – I don't know all the ins and outs because I haven't been on one, but I want to say um, you know, there's, let's say, four coaches on there, um, and I think – they're able to use a box and play a video of campus and they're like talking through like, here's this and, um, or it's like different, you know, pictures and videos and just kind of going through campus that way. So here's everything we can tell you about Notre Dame on this zoom screen. I think that's pretty much the basics of it. So a PowerPoint presentation. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> a PowerPoint plus a FaceTime, yeah. That, but that's but PowerPoint it. doesn't sound as, as cool as virtual Virtual, visit. yeah. Yeah, because then they even send out the graphics like, thanks for visiting. But I'm like, Notre Dame, this is great. But okay, <laughs> it's, a, it's a Zoom call. <laughs> like, um, yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's like dating somebody long distance. I mean, we, we've all been there and, um, you know, Thanks for the virtual visit, girlfriend. Like, I don't know if, it, if that's really how it works. I mean, it's, it's nice. Don't get me wrong. Like, um, it's nice to have those those FaceTimes with your long-distance girlfriend or, or boyfriend, but it, it's just not the same as being in person with them. So this kind of seems like a year – I mean, 
it's up and down with the Midwest. Um, and so this, this is kind of a year, I, I guess in my mind, it, a little bit down for the Midwest overall. And especially with Notre Dame's offers to kids in the Midwest, like starting early and moving forward. Like if they would have bid on a, a few a few more kids, uh, you know, within the tri-state area, maybe just a little bit sooner, maybe they have a b- better chance. Do you, do you feel the same way about that? Because, I mean, as, as you were stating with the, you know, with, with the COVID, thing, it's a, a lot of this stuff's local, you know. Uh, Corey Freeman decommitted from Clemson. He's staying. He's going to stay local, whether it's USC or, or whatnot. Yeah. But it, there just doesn't seem a whole lot of uh, of local recruits. I'm close to Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne yeah. isn't putting out a whole lot of good talent this year, or for the 21 20, uh, 21 class. You know, normally there's there's a few more there's a few more guys, and there just doesn't seem to be that many guys uh, yeah. on this cycle. Uh, so is is that true then, or is, or is, is Notre Dame uh, would you would you expect them to maybe pick it up a little bit more with, with just a, a few random guys? Yeah, no, I mean Notre Dame. Obviously, you guys know Notre Dame's got a national recruiting base, so you know they're recruiting. I, I actually live down in Atlanta, so when I got this job um, with with Blue and Gold last year, it's kind of presented as the option of um, you you. There's here, here's a few different areas you could live, and I grew up in Atlanta. So um, it made sense for me to, to move back here from Florida, um, where I've been living for about a decade. So, I mean, Notre Dame's recruiting more in the state of Georgia than they are in Indiana. So, right. <laughs> um, and it's a lot warmer down here. So, and it's a great hub for travel. Um, so, Chicago would have made sense. You know, D.C., New Jersey, some some of these areas, L.A. You know, great spots for for covering Notre Dame football. Um, recruiting, I should say, if you're covering the team, obviously you want to be in South Bend, but, um, so, but yeah, I mean, as, in terms of it being down for 2021, um, in the Midwest, um, you know, thinking about Chicago and Indianapolis and Detroit, I mean, Notre Dame got Justin Walters, um, you know, they got, um, you know, Blake Fisher. Uh, so Walters is the safety from Chicago, um, you know, Blake Fisher's the, the big offensive lineman from Indianapolis. You got Lorenzo Styles from um, just outside of Columbus. Um, so Pat Coogan. Pat Coogan, yep, the offensive lineman for Chicago. I was, knew I was missing somebody. So, you know, they've hit it in the in the Midwest with the guys they really like. And then you go over to Detroit. You know, they're after Donovan Edwards, the big running back. They're um, after. Uh, of course, Rocco Spindler. Spin, yep, Rocco Spindler and Clarkston outside of Detroit. So they're after those guys. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't have anything like pulled up specifically. I mean, it's a great article idea, so I might steal that. But um, <laughs> yeah, no. uh, and now I'm thinking about 2022, and there does seem to be you know more in Chicago, um, several in Detroit already. They offered um, an offensive lineman from what is it, Zionsville and Joey. Tannona. Well, how's how's um, twenty how's twenty twenty two looking for like I mean, Ohio for me is a is a bit, number one I live in Ohio in right. the great city of, or village of Hicksville, uh, but uh, you know Cincinnati's always a, a is a big pipeline. I mean, yes, you know since Brian Kelly has got there, it's picked up in Cincinnati. It was like a Kelly did like a switch. Like Weiss had Jersey and Kelly had Cincinnati, and it's almost like they did a swap. And I I keep track uh, every year of of. I, uh, Notre Dame state of recruiting, um, mm-hmm. just you know, based off of where they're getting the, their talent from. And, uh, you know, this year seems pretty down for Ohio. 
Um, and, you know, Ryan Day is pulling out of the, the same playbook as Urban Meyer, where, you know, Jim Trestle was fences on Ohio. They, they didn't venture nationally as much at Ohio State. Uh, I mean, obviously, I mean, they, they would, uh, but it was very, they, they very much kept their talent in state. Uh, much respect to Jim Trestle for that. Uh, right. But since Meyer got there, Meyer and then Day's, you know, in the same playbook, they are going all over the place, which means there's a lot more talent left in the state of Ohio for Michigan, Penn State, Notre Dame, uh, you know, to get you know, a little bigger foot in on, um, how's 2022 look like that? Cause 2021 did not look great, uh, for Notre Dame, uh, as far as Ohio was concerned. Yeah. And, and sticking with 2021 for a second in Ohio, um, I'm pretty sure, I think they offered maybe seven or eight guys. And I think most of them committed to Ohio state. Um, you know, of course, Corey kind from Cincinnati picked LSU, uh, Styles, who we mentioned, is a Notre Dame. You know, right. Jalen Ballard picked Ohio State. He had a Notre Dame offer. Uh, ben Christman, Ohio State. Um, you know, uh, Najee Story, Notre Dame, kind of cooled on him. He picked Northwestern. Jack Sawyer, Notre Dame offered Ohio State. Reed Carrico, <laughs> Notre Dame offered. He's with Ohio State. And somebody of those guys Devontae were Ohio Smith. State in their sophomore year. Yeah. So now we're getting into the sophomore. So Notre Dame's offered two guys from Ohio. Um, one is Gabe Powers, a borderline five-star on Rivals. Um, he's a linebacker. He's probably going to end up at Ohio State, in my opinion. Um, C.J. Hicks is a safety, already committed to Ohio State. And then Caden Saunders is a four-star receiver who Notre Dame's after in that 2022 class. Uh, he recently dropped the top six, and he's looking to maybe commit in September, which would be you know pretty early pledge. Uh, I, I, Ohio State's not in that top six because the Buckeyes haven't offered. So... Um, you know, Notre Dame might get him, but if Ohio state offers, it's kind of like, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe they get him then it might not be, uh, that lived or that long lived of a recruitment. So I have a question. Um, and it, and it does tie into the, the, the Midwest nature of it as well, but, uh, what role do camps play in? Cause a lot of, a lot of what the, the recruiting rankings go off of my understanding is that a lot of it has to do with what and which camps you attend. And then is the fact that camps are going to be severely limited going to really put the 2021 class sort of in, um, you know, a, a spiral as far as where rankings go, but then the 2022 class, a lot of these junior or, you know, sophomores and aren't going to be able to get out there and make their presence known. What is, what impact is that going to have on recruiting? Yeah. So I think it's twofold one for, you mentioned the camps impacting the rankings. I think that's a, that's true in a sense. So I think there's a little bit of a misconception. I mean, I, I'm speaking for, my view of it, right? I don't do the rankings and I've just been with rivals my whole career. So I can't speak for other sites, but my interpretation of it, it's more about seeing the kids in person. So a lot of times that's at a camp because, um, you have hundreds of kids going to a camp, but the going to see a kid in his practice or going to see him in his game, that's also a part of it that I think people forget, um, is that, game evaluations are very important. Those uh, seeing those kids in person in that setting. But of course, uh, unless you're seeing IMG Academy play modern day, you're typically not going to have a ton of D one players on the field at one time. So that's why those camps are so important. And people do like to rag on camps because they are important to the ranking process for the reasons I just mentioned. And they're like, man, you're just in t-shirt and shorts. This isn't real football. I'm like, well, 
then why does Notre Dame hold camps? Why do all these schools hold camps and then offer right. kids based on their camp performance? So clearly they're important. Jay Brunel tore it up at Irish Invasion last year, got an offer, and then ended up committing. The staff really wanted to see him in person, so clearly that's an important part of the process. They want to see or an inverse, Greg. I say in inverse too. Greg Crippen didn't perform yeah. as well at a camp, and they were perfectly fine with Greg Crippen leaving the class. Then. <laughs> and you have spoken. Uh, I'm not going to say anything on that, but um, <laughs> you know they they want to see these how they react, like how many reps do they want to get? Are they fine with just hanging out in the back of the line? Like these are all real things. Like they want to not only see these kids in action, um, but uh, they want to see how, what kind of competitor they are. Um, do they want to get better? All that kind of stuff. I, I think I answered half your question. What part didn't I answer? Cause I, I got sidetracked. What's, what sort of impact now or, our, I, I mean, I've seen some camps are still happening, but I can't imagine that camps are going to be um, in the current uh, landscape that we're in, something that are as prevalent and as many kids are going to attend, if at all. Yeah. What does that do to the recruiting rankings? And, and I just, I, I guess, not just the rankings, but teams' ability, like you said, to identify players so that you can put butts in seats at the right games to know who to look at. Is that going to throw the 2021 and 2022 class into sort of disarray. Yeah. So most of these camps that you're kind of seeing pop up right now are for the 2022s, those underclassmen, like there's the underclassmen report specifically um, that was just in Jacksonville. It's going to be in Atlanta this weekend. Then it's going up to Ohio. And so there's a little bit of 21s, but it's mostly for, for 22s. Um, but the big thing is there's no college camps. Like, these you know rivals and under armor and the opening like yeah those are neat for rankings but at the end of the day the rankings are going to be fine Uh, i'm more concerned about high school football like if there's no high school football then you're really screwed for trying to rank somebody it would pretty much just be status quo like rivals had a uh, a rankings update uh, a month and a half ago or so and it there weren't much changes like pretty much everyone dropped down two spots due to like five guys moving up 60 spots or something like if a few guys move up well everyone else has got to move down a little bit so everyone's like oh there comes rivals coming after notre dame again everyone's (laughs) dropping i'm just like you guys don't understand basic math i mean uh, (laughs) actually i don't know if if it's as complicated as math it's just simple logic uh, because there were a few camps and i think it there's also a real component of it as you know we went back and really evaluated this guy's film a little bit more and had more time to do that and um because i think there's there's guys who um look at ryan barnes um he didn't get his first offer this is a notre dame commit now um a cornerback he didn't get his first offer until november so how would you expect rivals to know about a kid who literally is not even on the recruiting scene so Rival still has him as a 5.6 three-star, which is that mid-level designation for a three-star ranking. And it's like no, Rivals has never seen this kid in person. Um, they really only have film to go off of. So, like, you want to to um, to see more um, in person, maybe see some senior film. So I went off topic again. But, um, yeah, so, again, I think, I think the senior film is what's really going to be important. Um for the rankings, but I mean, it's, it's the rankings. Who really cares about that? What, what's more important is how, how it really affects the recruit recruiting process. Like, you know, fans care about the rankings, but you know, you're seeing a lot of kids like just blow up 
sitting on their couches, not doing anything because one school kind of identified a kid and then it just put him on every other school's radar and kids are blowing up like Ryan Barnes. You know, um, he, he, I don't think he did any camps this year. Like he, he hasn't done anything. So how is he blown up? Like people are mad about Cam Brong dropping on 24 seven sports from, you know, number one tight end in the country a year ago to now a three star. How that happens is, is mind boggling to me. I don't really understand it. Um, <laughs> Nor us. There's, yeah. yeah. There's two sides of the coin though. Like you can drop, but also it's like, cause everyone's saying there's no football going on. How could he drop? And I'm not. Uh, I'm not saying that drop was justified. I don't understand it. But at the same time, like Ryan Barnes has been, you know, just training. Like there's no college coaches watching him. Like, but he blows up. So, um, I've been living and breathing college football recruiting for seven years. Like this has been literally my entire life. Don't tell my wife that, but (laughs) I'm still trying to figure this stuff out. Not only do the rules keep changing, but, there's just so many different nuances to college football recruiting um, that it, well, Mike, it's fascinating. For people that, uh, that that don't exactly know, where where were you? Who were you covering before uh, Notre Dame? For like the, like the two years prior or whatnot? Man, yeah. So I I started. Okay, I graduated high school in 2012. I got in Rivals a year later. Literally went from working at Walmart to you know, interning with rivals, basically, um, covering USF. Cause I grew up in, in, uh, Clearwater, Florida area, basically from, you know, 14 to, you know, last year, you know, I've been in this, the, the central Florida. Um, so shoot, I can't remember. USF was kind of like an unpaid intern gig. Then I got, I started covering Louisville, Mississippi state and USC. Yeah. Trojans covered all three of those schools part-time. Um, and then I started covering some Pac-12 schools. Oregon State and Colorado was a full-time gig. Um, and honestly, I'm probably missing a few schools in there. I've, I've, I'm kind of a journeyman, you know. Like, you know, those NBA players have kind of been journeymen throughout their careers. And then, like, like a Ricky Rubio, you know, is that a thing, Ricky Rubio? <laughs> you know, he just he was doing nothing. It seems like, and then he like finds a solid niche in the NBA. That's how I kind of feel. I found a solid niche here at Notre Dame. Um, so I, I, I've covered a ton of schools. I covered USC for like six months, so don't really be mad at me for covering them. <laughs> <laughs> so you've uh, been around the block a little bit. So I have. you know, wh- what can you? I, I, this question is twofold. You know, what is what is Notre Dame doing really well? Not just good, but what are they doing really well when it comes to recruiting? And then on the flip side, what are they just sucking ass at (laughs) um what do they do really well that really separates themselves from other schools i think when those kids get on campus i think the staff is very very good at it i mean you look at um you know I've, i've got a year and a couple months sample size of covering notre dame so i'm pretty green still which i think is good because i can provide some fresh like I didn't grow up a Notre Dame fan, so I don't have like these, you know, biases, negative or positive. Um, so, um, like I said, I think they do a really good job uh, in getting the kid onto campus. Jordan Patelho, uh, the Viper, is that what we're calling them now? Vipers? Is that right? Yeah, it, it was Shark. I, shark. They changed it to Shark last year. So for no, one it year, it was Shark, and I believe now it's Viper drop in last year i think it was shark before but anyways like jordan Batello visits once from hawaii and you know has a great campus uh, campus visit locks down his commitment jordan johnson five-star receiver on rivals last year his first trip to notre dame he actually didn't even enjoy that much because him and his mom were kind of sick 
but the staff wanted to get him back on campus and they knocked it out of the park and, and got him to commit was it run the spring game last year oh man i wish we had a spring game this year could you imagine how great that would be <laughs> um well, but yeah I, a second spring practice much yeah i think they just do a really good job of when those kids are on campus like they um from the head coach brian kelly when he has the prospects get um you know down in his office the assistant coach spending time down to you know the the recruiting staffers um all, all those people i think they really do a fantastic job um in terms of what i don't think they do a great job of is with specifically the sophomores going into their junior year so right now it would be the 2022 recruits So Notre Dame can't call those kids right now until September 1st of their junior year. And if you're a blueandgold.com subscriber, you know, I've discussed this at length. You've heard this before. Uh, But for those who haven't, so until September 1 of junior year, you have to call the college coach. Or the college coach has to, like, text your high school coach and be like, hey, have Joe Schmo call me at 2 p.m. at this time um, or or whatever. So it's not super easy for those conversations to happen. So there's a little bit more of a, of a hurdle there, but it's not ridiculous, right? I mean, it's not a, a crazy amount of work. So I do feel like Notre Dame with these underclassmen that they can't call directly, they really rely on. We'll just, we'll talk to those kids when they visit here. Like we're not going to do a ton of underclass recruiting, which, which don't get me wrong, they do. Like Jeff Quinn actually does a really good job, and I know me saying Jeff Quinn does a really good job is like people are like mad at me now because, you know, some people. Jeff Quinn's the scapegoat for a, a lot of Notre Dame fans, at least on my message board. Um, getting back on track, yeah. So like I mentioned, Caden Saunders earlier, four-star receiver. You know, he had really good calls recently with Dale Alexander and Tommy Reese, and you know he's a rising junior, um, so. You know, he fits this, uh, you know, category of, of recruit who Notre Dame can't call yet. So it's not across the board, but it's been enough times where, like, I'm talking to a recruit who I know has got really good grades, really talented kid with a Notre Dame offer, and they're just like, yeah, I, I, I don't hear from Notre Dame. Like, I, I haven't talked to them in a really long time. And, it, um, well, part of it is up to the kid to call the college coach. Most of the responsibility is on the college coach to get with the high school coach and say hey like you know have this kid call me every week at this set time or hey um you know i'm going to catch up with this kid have him call me so um and i do want to say that they could be a little bit reliant on getting the kids on campus to have those interactions and that's when we're going to talk to this kid a lot is when he comes here Um, but during this period where you can't have visits then you better be relying on those phone calls and and um, you can still have Zoom calls and you know FaceTimes with these underclassmen too. So uh, I would definitely like to see Notre Dame get. Um, they'll offer kids early, so it's not that they're not offering kids early enough. It's just like, all right, you offered, now what? Like, what kind of relationship are you going to build? Or right. you're going to go four months without talking to him? You might as well just have offered him four months, you know, for <laughs> them because it's kind of. I feel like it might put a. Uh, bad taste in the kid's mouth when you know Michigan's talking to me every other day and I haven't heard from Notre Dame in four months. John Edwards, that um, that might explain a little because I was very con- um, confused when I found out not only that um, Bobby Taylor had a son, but that he didn't get an offer until May of 
and he had to be the one to sort of reach out to Notre Dame. And that was kind of, it almost seemed like he was asking for an offer. And I was always confused about that. Um, yeah, I wrote that story at balloongold.com. Yeah. I, I, have yeah. As well, but, um, and I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe Notre Dame was planned to offer many ways and it's kind of just sped up the process. But yeah, he told me that, you know, he saw all of his buddies getting offers like Notre Dame offered several guys in, in that 2022 class in Texas, all defensive backs. And Taylor's kind of like, man, like, where's mine? But he didn't seem like upset or anything. He was just like, you know, wanting that offer. So, you know, you know, fighting Irish are definitely in the mix there. So where are you on the uh, taco versus burrito scale? Like it, it, in the in the war in the war that is food, uh, if you had to choose between tacos or burritos, where where are you on that scale? I'm just shocked that we, we've been recording for a little while now, and Will Shipley has even come up. But we're talking tacos. <laughs> that that Shipley has sailed. Yeah, that okay. ship has sailed. We, yeah. Uh, I'll say this at one foot down: we do not harp too hard on a bunch of uh, bullshit. We will bring bullshit up constantly. Uh, but it, if, if it's uh, if it's the poop that doesn't fall back on our fence, eh, uh, it, it, we just <laughs> we have to move on. And and I mean if Notre Dame, I, their Notre Dame's running back recruiting has just been uh, it's too tough for words to talk about. Uh, you brought up Corey Kinnear, uh, which is a guy that uh, that Brendan and I both have been were kind of adamant that we wished you know Notre Dame had gone after a little harder earlier uh and you know believe that I, I mean i think he would have been in the class um you know by most accounts it seemed like he was he was really eye in notre dame is, uh, it so, is it kinnear or kiner i've been saying kiner this whole time uh it might be kiner all right <laughs> i've heard it both ways <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that's usually how it works you'll hear it a few ways yeah, but, but yeah, so I mean, gripe, I do linebacker over uh, <laughs> over. Could not, uh, back. Uh, let, let me let me put it this way for you, Mike. Do you want to talk about Will Shipley? <laughs> no, not just decent. But no, so, uh, people do get upset about running back recruiting because that's just kind of what you complain about right now if you're a Notre Dame fan. But linebacker one, like, hey, oh. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, that one definitely gets brought up as well. But I just try to tell fans like. Try to be consistent. Like, don't get, don't overreact to one thing that's happening. Like, um, if that makes sense. Like, let, let's not be too reactionary. Like, let's let's look at the whole context and scope of this thing, and not just one kid. Like, it, you know, in my opinion, if I were to start a football team and pick out here's what the most important positions are and running backs low down there in my opinion like quarterback offensive tackle defensive end like you you want to get the the best quarterback you want to protect your quarterback and then you want to go get the other team's quarterback like like that's it for me like running backs down there like it's not as an important position but you know I, i know people disagree with me on that but it's just my two cents so tacos versus burritos. Yeah, go ahead. I'm a burrito bowl guy. Is that weird? Yeah. Oh man, you you, bought, you almost have me on your team there until you brought out the bowl. The bowl. So <laughs> I don't like get burrito. What makes bowl. it a What makes it a burrito? Isn't it just a taco salad then? If it's a burrito bowl. So if we're talking like let's say with Chipotle, right? That's pretty mainstream. Yeah. I like getting a burrito bowl and then getting 
either soft taco tortillas on the side or getting a burrito tortilla on the side because if you get a burrito and empty out that meat into a bowl, it's not that much. But if you get a burrito bowl and you get extra rice and extra beans and the veggies and the sour cream and I get the hot and medium salsa and chipotle and then you put that meat and all those goodies into a burrito, then you have so much left over that – um, you, you've got like two meals there. So that's why I say burrito bowl. But if you're making me choose between burrito or taco alone, definitely burrito. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just all the different things you can load in there. Like I had Moe's last week cause they came out with this like barbecue chicken burrito. I don't know if you guys saw that, but that thing was pretty sweet. Well, that's usually like a big, co- uh, that's a big talking point for people that take tacos. They say tacos are more versatile and I'm trying to figure out how were they more versatile? You can put the exact same thing into a burrito that you do a taco. It's just in a neater package and you can have more of it. And some people, I mean, I'm a, I'm six, one, 265 pounds. So <laughs> I'm not really too worried about, you know, I'll eat, you know, five tacos or three burritos. Doesn't make, none of that makes a difference to me. Uh, but like, you know, you can put peanut butter and jelly. In a burrito. And trust me, I, I feed my kids that. Listen, I'll, listen, listen. Get Whether it's a small tortilla or big tortilla, whatever it is, peanut butter, honey, cinnamon, wrap it up, thank me. Just DM me and thank me. No, I've already done it. It's you have? Right. Those three it's ingredients. Like, yes, dude, it's fantastic. <laughs> my wife swore she made that up, so I'm going to have to no, tell no, her. No, no, no. Uh, I've been making that since college. Uh, that, that was literally, listen, in my fraternity house for about a month and a half, I, I was just eating out of the stuff that we had in our, in our common kitchen on the second floor. And the only things that were up there was this giant bag of oatmeal, tortillas, peanut butter, and then a bunch of spices. So, but I, when I was growing up, we always had peanut butter and honey sandwiches. So I actually, I splurged on myself and went and bought me a thing of honey and that's what I was making, man. That's yeah. fantastic. It, it's fantastic. I might not tell my wife then. She might be upset that she didn't make this up. <laughs> no, try Listen, if you could put it in a tortilla, I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> I have absolutely done it. So what about uh, the, the new one for me now is hot dog versus corn dog. Where are you at on that? Can I have both? Do I no, really need to no, pick you, one? There, there is gun to your head. Carney standing right there with a with your available options of hot dog, uh, and with with pretty much any options you want with a hot dog, you can do sh- Chicago style dog, whatnot, uh, or your corn dog. Where, yeah, where do you go? You have all the options. I'm a chili cheese dog kind of guy, there so I, I can yeah. I can. I can customize a hot dog more, but I can never just eat one hot dog. Like I feel like with a corn dog with with the with the breading on there, that might fill me up a little bit more. Um, but can't you can't you uh you know can't you like dip a corn dog into like some chili cheese sauce? But then you're yeah, walking I, I, around I mean, with, with chili cheese sauce in your hand looking like a fool. And neither of those foods are, are good walking around foods if now a corn dog is, but if you're dipping and mm, I don't know about that, but chili cheese dog is going to get messy. There, there's no way you're not you're not spilling anything. But um, you're an Ohio guy, so do you like Skyline? You a Skyline guy? You know, I am not a huge. Oh, Skyline I'm hanging up. Now listen, now listen, now listen. 
I'm out. Cincinnati. I love Cincinnati. It is it is my number one uh, town in, in the state of Ohio. But it's it's actually also really not Ohio. It's northern Kentucky. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I just, I've never been a, there's not a whole lot of skylines up around this area. I think Fort Wayne just got one. Um, just to, yeah, I live just 15, 20 minutes away from Fort Wayne. They just got one maybe a few years ago. Uh, and so, but going down, I've had it and, and it's fine. The problem is, is that I'm also, a, I'm Italian. And so when people eat skyline chili with that pot, with pasta, I, it, it just, I, I can't soul? deal with it. I, yeah, it does. It, it really. It's like I don't know what this is. This does. This seems like something that my grandma would smack me for. Um, <laughs> but I, I do enjoy. I, they're chili. I like. So it just keep the pasta out of it, and I'm cool with Skyline. And, and I will not diss on Skyline because there are Skyline defenders that will hunt me down. Oh, I am uh, out there. Uh, we Rocky have, Boy we is have one. Jared Grace is Florida. one. Uh, I make my own Skyline chili. I found a uh, a version of Skyline chili's recipe on the old interwebs like a decade back, and I've been making it since. I'm pretty sure they <laughs> sell that in stores too, man. Yeah, I think you can buy the packet. Yeah, Skyline's got the great dogs. Oh, man, I love their three-way with the spaghetti. Yeah, they're, they're in Clearwater, Florida. I'm actually down here with my family this week because everybody's still down here. So I might have to make a trip over to Skyline. I mean, if I ate Skyline with pasta, it just, it's like, I might as well be get fucking Fazoli's. Uh, you know, I just, I just, uh, I just, I just, I can't, I can't do it. It's a you food know, but like, eat and make, and you're like, this is disgusting as you just stuff your face. Well, I'm not a food snob, but you know, I like, like White Castle is like, is like the coup de gras. I like, I have, you know, freaking love White Castle. Uh, but I, I don't know. You're looking I, for I really a real st- authentic Italian, you know, like the Olive Garden. <laughs> where i think if a granule of, of salt has ever touched the water that their pasta goes in it would be well, the first they, granule they're they too worried about their their pots getting all messed up for their salt like, how do you cook pasta without salt I don't I don't know. Know. Uh, so mike uh is there is there anything you want to let our uh our listeners know before we go you know you guys can all check him out uh, over at uh, on twitter uh he's at rivals underscore singer um, and check him out over at Blue and Gold Illustrated. Uh, and, you know, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show, and I really appreciate you covering Notre Dame. Uh, I, I like the outside opinions. We give uh, we like to give Carter uh, a few elbows here and there, especially when uh, Texas A&M news comes up. Uh, we really like mm. to give him jabs. Dude, uh, yeah, Texas I've, A&M's been beating Notre Dame out for some recruits, so I don't know if you should have Carter on too much anymore. Because Yeah, well, you know. if they go there, they're all going to bust, like every five-star that's ever gone there. Speaking <laughs> <laughs> of well, Kyle Allen says, what we, we gave a five-star list to Carter uh, a couple weeks ago, and you could just feel him sunk, sink back into his chair and uh, utter disappointment. <laughs> Kyler Murray didn't bust, though. <laughs> <laughs> A&M, he did. Yep. So, uh, anything you want to let anybody know? Oh, some stuff you're working on, stuff for people to get excited about there, Mike? Yeah, right now we actually have a uh, deal where if you sign up for a month, or you just try us out. I think it's like nine ninety five a month. You get a free T-shirt from BreakingT.com. I think you guys are actually promoting it too. It's got the the Buffett McGraw like legend. Oh shirt. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's on BreakingT.com. So if you sign up for a month. At blueandgold.com, you you get that shirt for free. There's also like a little uh, hoodie where it says like playoff like a champion, so you know it might be a little outdated, a couple years, but 
Um, there's some different, like, cool little Notre Dame shirts. I'm sure they have a lot of different stuff on BreakingT.com. Um, yeah, all the stuff I designed. <laughs> What's that? Right, all the yeah, all the uh, South the South Bend collection is all all, all stuff that uh, that I brought forth through them. Well, I did not. I didn't know that. So yeah. there you go. Oh, they're, yeah, it's they're, great stuff. They're, they're sweet. I love the, the the BK Homeboy one. Isn't that one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That one is sweet. So yeah, you get a free T-shirt. Son of I'm, I'm wearing our 1993 national champion shirt right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're they're sweet. So if anybody has any questions on that, you know, um, obviously blueandgold.com has all the details. But you can shoot me an email. It's at uh, msinger at blueandgold.com. Would be more than happy to to answer any questions for anybody. Just appreciate you guys having me on the uh, the One Fit Down Absolutely. podcast. Great, yeah, great man, day. It's a I, I really appreciate your work, and uh, I'm just happy that uh, Notre Dame has remained interesting enough for you. Yes, they have. No, it's uh, <laughs> oh man, between uh, you know their recruiting it, it's, it's, during COVID, it's been crazy. But the, the fans, they they, uh, they keep me up at night sometimes. So yeah, they, they if anything, it's the Notre Dame fans that have kept things interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Love the uh, the message boards. Uh, Warriors are 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 the hardcore fans of the Notre Dame. Definitely. All right. Well, thanks again. And, uh, and we will have you back on no doubt, uh, within the future. So, uh, thanks again. And back to the show. Uh, All right. The, uh, triumvirate is back after that, uh, that very nice interview with Mike who, uh, I, I just, I don't know about his hot dog take. I just, I just I'm having a hard time to grapple with that. I don't know what there's to grapple with. It is the superior means of getting pork, sausage, and beef down your gullet. <laughs> I mean, how is that superior to being like on a stick, breaded, compact? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. But he's absolutely his wife's actually right. I guess. I mean, I'm telling you that peanut butter, honey, and cinnamon uh, tortilla. Yeah, that that's it right there. That that is. A good thing. You throw, you know, you could roll that up, and then throw it in a frying pan, a little bit of butter, uh, just this real quick on each side, just kind of get a little crispy, and that's that's life. That, that that's that that's a 19-year-old uh, Ua living life right there. <laughs> that sounds like the kind of uh, confectionery treat that would fuel you to a uh, drunken trip to uh, a Notre Michigan game and get you pulled over multiple times. That was the kind of trip that uh, uh, that's kind of food choice you have in college in Michigan, wishing that something was legal back in Michigan back then. <laughs> <laughs> that would have made things a lot easier. <laughs> Say no more. Wink, 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 nudge, nudge. I know what you mean. Uh, you know, the yeah. hate, hate the Michigan Wolverines. Love the damn state. Love it to death. All right, so <laughs> uh, guys, let's let's get into uh, let, let's get into it. So Friday, Notre Dame had the prayer and unity walk, and above all else, I, I mean, the, the message was clear, the message was loud, and and it was wonderful. But I mean, the thing that stood out to me the most, and, and apparently it stood out to quite a few people, and in fact, uh, our OFD zone Matt Boomer wrote a wrote a really nice article about it. Uh, yesterday <laughs> got to it today uh dalen hayes i mean what an amazing uh leader he has you know he has shown himself to be and i mean and how 
uh, extremely lucky are we to have Dalen Hayes back for 2020. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a true blessing. Uh, it's weird to say that an injury would be a blessing, but I just keep thinking about um, not having him and having, you know, uh, Jameer Jones instead. And I'm not saying Jameer Jones wouldn't be outspoken about what's going on. Uh, maybe he has some, some topics, but uh, I think watching the, um, the Homer cast of the Notre Dame Boston college game last year, I got a real sense of that, you know, Dalen Hayes is not afraid of the spotlight. He's not afraid to, um, speak his mind and he, you know, he can bring it. Uh, he, he has a lot to say and it sounds very intelligent coming out of his mouth. And that's all you hope for when you hear anybody, uh, alum or current student of the university of Notre Dame speak, you know, you just want it to sound like somebody's actually taken two seconds to think about what they, what they had to say. So, uh, I was, I, I was impressed and I'm just real glad that he continues to be on this team because, um, you know, it's, I think there's easily talk about him being a captain, uh, just because he seems to be out front and be a real leader. And I, I would support that. I, I think he's, he's definitely one to watch. Oh, I mean, all of the, I mean, Kareem and Aquara are gone. Gilman's gone. Elliot's gone. Those were all your defensive captains on last year's roster. And I don't think that there is even a question after his Juneteenth, um, you know, speech and the way he presented himself and the way he's really taken leadership of this team who is going to be a captain on that defense. I don't even think it's a question. And I don't know. He was a, he was a guy who I thought was going to be prime for a big year. There were times last year where it looked like he was out playing um, Julian Aquara and then he got hurt and I don't know. He was, he was a, he was a five-star kid and it all, he got kind of lost in the, the depth chart shuffle um, and he'd flash, but if he can take this and pivot it, I'm very excited. I mean, this is a, a kid that fully motivated. He has all of the physical tools needed to be an absolute stud. And if he's going to bring it like this, I'm very excited. Absolutely. And one of the things that I, I just keep going over in my head is like, uh, 2020. Yeah. It, it's been a little bit different of a year. you know it's but you know it's been fucking wild and people people need leadership uh college football teams need leadership and you need leadership from your own and i if dalen hayes wasn't on this team i struggle to find not to say that somebody wouldn't step up but i've struggled to find like someone who was seemingly as effective as what he has been uh, so far. Uh, and you know, not, and again, there, there are other leaders on that team, you know, clearly, but I, you know, if there was no Dalen Hayes right now, what, you know, how does that go down? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I, I can't think of it. I can't tell you why <laughs> that's why it boggles my mind. Well, so again, I, I, just think, it, I think that these guys hit the moment too, right? They, they have, they have found their voice and they have found their power in a way that, um, even people that they played with, you know, never used their voice like this. They never right. used their platform like this. Um, I always, I, I think a lot about, um, the fact that this was a very public thing. And do you, I think this would have happened after Eric Garner, uh, which I think was very similar circumstances, not to get too, polit- take this into two political s- circumstances, but just, 
you know, something caught on videotape, outrageous, a, a death that could have been easily avoided. Um, and, you know, do you think that that Brian Kelly and or Jack Swarbrick and or Father Jenkins would have seized the moment if somebody um, on the, who was on the team three years ago had said, I want to I want to do a, a rally or I want to do a walk or I want to do a peaceful protest on, on campus? I, the answer is I don't know, because three years ago, it seemed like the court of public opinion, and maybe I'm wrong about this, it, it seemed like a lot of people were against Colin Kaepernick's kneeling for the national anthem. And I think that's even swayed now where people, I think, understand his motivations behind it. And it wasn't, you know, I, people are taking it as disrespectful to the flag. But I think that I think he was trying to, to raise awareness of all the things that we've now been talking about. For weeks now. Yeah, like he said, like he said all along. What, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what it was about. It wasn't that too. It wasn't too hard to figure out why he was doing it because he literally had said it. But uh. <laughs> right. So I think about you know, and I don't know that Brian Kelly was ever asked about Colin Kaepernick, and it probably wasn't appropriate for him to ask because you know college players aren't out for the for the national anthem, you know, or they're the they're not. Was up then? What's that? I don't think the athletic was up and running then. That. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> So maybe maybe this wasn't, you know, something that that needed to be discussed or maybe it was, it you know, the dynamics or difference between pros and college in terms of paying the players versus, you know, their, um, you know, free labor for the for the colleges or whatever. But I just I, I love that this is happening now. And the one thing I really want more than anything is to see a sustained um, effort here. It's one thing to be all hot about it in June. Um, when it's kind of forefront of our minds, but in September and October, you have an even bigger platform. I mean, people are going to be tuned in to be watching. And I think of those, what would you fight for commercials? You know what I mean? Uh, just a a year ago or two years ago, we had a, what would you fight for about a girl that said one of her favorite things to do? A white girl who said one of her favorite things to do was serve warrants on people. You know what I mean? It was just like incredibly tone deaf. Um, you know, and, and frankly, uh, it's just like Nick Watkins speaking out about the, the MLK, uh, Hesburgh photo. It's an iconic photo. It's a great photo, but it happened in 1960, what, four, um, you know, it's time to retire that photo and have a picture of father Jenkins doing something that's meaningful to the African-American community. Because, uh, as one of the players said, I, I think it was, I can't remember who, who who put up the picture. Uh, I want to say Jamie on Franklin, which is like, if you respect me on Saturday or you cheer for me on Saturday, listen to me the other six days of the week. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's so poignant, which is like, these guys aren't, this isn't like a meat market, you know, which is like that these guys are just robots for our entertainment. These are human beings who have complex feelings. And, you know, if they say something, we ought to be able to at least hear them out. We might have to, we don't have to agree with everything. We certainly don't have to agree with anything. That's what makes you know America great, to borrow a bad phrase. But um, you know, <laughs> we can we can uh, we can certainly um, you know hear them out and, and maybe engage ourselves in a dialogue that we haven't had before. And I'm hoping that that's what's the 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 end result of this. That you know some of the people that are offended by what's going on now are you know just walk away from it and say, okay, this got too political for me, and and just stop rooting for the team and the people who are engaged in saying, look, I don't understand how you could have sports without politics. I don't understand you right. could have sports without players having voices. I don't want the players to be voiceless. I want the players to have a platform. I mean, we saw it today with 
um, uh, Kylan Hill, the uh, running back from, from Mississippi State. He said, basically, change the flag of Mississippi or I'm done representing this state. I or mean, the that, cornerbacks from uh, Liberty that uh, transferred for very specific reasons. Yeah. Right. Uh, or two, you know, two cornerbacks said, you know what? Uh, nobody here uh, believes us. Nobody here by is into this. They think it's a, you know, a bunch of crap. And they bolted. Chuba Hubbard at Oklahoma State. Right. We yeah. talked about it on the last podcast, Chuba Hubbard. And obviously, it'll be, it remains to be seen what, what actually comes of that. But that's what I'm hoping for, is that this continues to be a discussion that we continue well, that's to what have. Was so, that was what was so, uh, to me, what stood out the most from what Dalen was saying up there. It wasn't just him hot, you know, you know, hot under the collar. It wasn't just him listing off uh, a bunch of grievances like we were preparing for Festivus. It was him calling out everybody there to do more, right. not just like not just complaining uh, and not to say that you didn't have the right to do that either, because he certainly did. But it wasn't just a list of complaints or a list of wrongs. He was calling out uh, his fellow players, coaches, this, the uh, university, the university itself to step up and do more. Uh, what he said about him and his girlfriend, um, his very beautiful fiance, uh, you know, that just right down the road. It's a, it, it was like, and you know, this Jude from, from going to school there, there, there is a giant Notre Dame bubble on Notre Dame's campus, uh, w- you know, with within South Bend. Uh, and so getting off of Notre Dame's campus and into the real part of South Bend and finding, you know, here are these issues that these kids, uh, w- you know, without a whole lot of means have, and then them stepping, him stepping into that role. Uh, what did he say? Like two or three times a week he was down there. I mean, that's, that's a big thing. So, him going through all that and doing that uh, and then calling on the university and everybody involved there to actually do something. That's what stood out to me the most more so than anything else was the, uh, he wanted to be a part of the solution rather than just calling out all the problems. And that's the mark of a real leader. As far as I'm concerned, Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to complain and, and um, I think it was Lou Holtz that said, don't tell people your problems. Uh, you know, 99% don't care and the other 10% are glad you have them or words to that effect, basically, you know, and it, I think it's just, it's an, it, it, as you've so correctly pointed out, it, it's a continuation. It's a conversation. He doesn't want this to die out. He's identified the problems. He's identified potential solutions. He has, a, he's, he's admitted that he doesn't have all the answers and he wants to move forward as a collaborative effort between him, a minority on that campus and a minority uh, outside the, the Notre Dame bubble and with, you know, with the with the white kids that he goes to school with and the white administrators and the white coaches that coach him. I, I just I think it's great. And just I, I can't say enough about um, players using their 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 platforms to to affect the change they want to see in this world. And we don't, have to, incredibly- we don't have to agree with all of it. We just, you know, I think it, we, we owe it to them to, he- to hear them out. I was incredibly proud on Friday. I mean, glowing, like glowing, like goose puppy type proud Friday from, from watching that. And, you know, I'm not an alum. I'm just a subway alum, just a normal guy uh, who liked the football team growing up. Uh, I, I, if you're an alum and you aren't just like beaming with pride, with what happened on the campus Friday from everything that they were doing there. It just, you know, we've talked about Dalen, but you know, Myron too, uh, you know, all the players that are up there, the staff, Brian Kelly, Mike Elston, everybody, father Jenkins, what they were trying to address and do. I was very proud 
of everything that was going on that day. And it just, it, it furthered a, a thought that I, that, you know, that like, look, how I, I don't understand the, the whole shut up and dribble from people. Uh, th- this is big. This is major life to the, to, to these kids. And they're not kids. They're adults. These are young adults trying to find their way in this world. And people that were, you know, and there was a lot of them. I mean, there's a lot of people on Facebook. I'm looking at you, uh, you know, call, call bullshit on all this. And it, it, it just didn't make any sense. And you could tell that these, uh, you know, that these people just, you know, number one, I don't think a vast majority of them were, were uh, ever alums uh, from Notre Dame at all. Uh, it's just, they're treating them like they're entertainment. Like the, you are supposed to just entertain me and make me happy, uh, you know, 12, day, 12 days out of the year. Uh, I don't, I don't want to listen to you. And that is part of the problem. And I am, I was extremely proud that they went up there on Friday and, and, and flew in the face of all that. And, you know, Bravo, I think we mentioned this on last week's podcast, but Bravo to Notre Dame for allowing these guys to have their voice. I mean, do you think you would have ever heard from Max Siegel in four years um, if it weren't for this? You know, I think this is an opportunity for players who aren't necessarily in the spotlight. I mean, maybe maybe Dalen Hayes is going to be at all the press conferences next year, especially if he's a captain. You know, I can see that happening or whatever. Uh, you know, but when you see a guy like with Max Siegel or, or Litchfield Ajavon, Ajavon, yeah, sorry, you know, speaking out, then it's like, okay, these it's starting to make these guys a little bit more human. And bravo for Notre Dame for not having to say, like, we have to micromanage this. This is really their event um, that we're giving them space and freedom, you know, to, to do. And, and obviously, you know, coach Kelly spoke or whatever, and that's fine. That's expected or whatever, but it, it's really going to be important that he keeps that culture alive or he fosters that culture. And I, I, I gotta be honest with you. I'm really glad I haven't heard so far, you know, some story about some strength coach or, O-line coach or whatever, you know, who everyone is dogpiling on, like we're hearing at these other uh, other schools. Iowa. Um, yeah, Iowa, absolutely. Clemson. Um, Clemson, certainly. Um, you know, just I, I like I'm not I know enough to know that racism exists in Notre Dame. I know enough to know that people make um, um, assumptions about black students on campus that are that are far from the truth and, and are hurtful. Um, I'm glad to know that at least amongst the white coaching staff, there hasn't been any announcement about this guy saying the N word or calling guys thugs. And you know what that means or calling people ghetto or whatever. Um, I just think that there's no place in coaching for, for any of that kind of language, just like there would be no place in coaching for, or in coaching for a, uh, you know, the, the male coach of a women's team to, to make sexist or misogynistic uh, remarks. So, uh, so far, so good on on, on that account. Um, obviously, if it comes out, I really do hope that they address it. Uh, you know, maybe even more so than some of these other schools have done. One component too with Dalen's um, leadership, I think probably leading us into the next topic that we're going to discuss is if you caught, did you see what happened at LSU with their COVID numbers? Uh, I didn't. I didn't see that number. No, they had thirty players quarantined. <sighs> That's a lot. And so the story behind the 30 players in the quarantine, um, the players went to a nightclub. They went to a bunch of different nightclubs. 
Um, and the, the, the scuttlebutt on it is, is that, um, there's hundreds of cases coming out of these nightclubs around LSU and the players just got back on the campus. And that's a team that saw its entire leadership walk out the door. I mean, it was one of the greatest college football teams ever play. Um, and they saw their leading tackler leave. They saw their, um, star quarterback leave. They saw a huge dearth of their, um, leadership just and an exodus. And this was a team that showed back up to campus that probably needs to find leadership going into the year. And it's not there. And the guys show up back to it's their first week back in Baton Rouge. And what do they do? They head up to the nightclubs. Um, Notre Dame didn't have 30 players, right? Right. They had a few, Uh, few less than that. They did not. They had, they had one who was asymptomatic according to the release and they had four who tested positive for the antibodies. If I read the release correctly, would that be right guys? Yeah. Yeah. Notre Dame put out that release today. And, uh, uh, I, I gotta tell you, I would have lost this bet. I, I, <laughs> dude, I thought we talked about maybe like an over under on our return, uh, positive thing. And I think maybe it was set around four, uh, <laughs> or maybe that was a conversation I had with somebody. I don't know, but, uh, I would have guessed that, you know, five or six, you know, for sure. Yeah. That's, uh, and that would have been my guess too, is just looking around the country. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it just, and look, Notre Dame, Notre Dame is a little more unique, uh, a lot more unique than LSU and Clemson and Texas because our players are spread all over the country. Their homes are all over, uh, this country. And, and so you would think it'd be, a little easier. The odds would go up a little higher uh, for some of these guys to, to have a, a chance to have contracted uh, COVID-19. And as it turns out, they did a, obviously did a pretty good job of, uh, you know, of, of quarantine life and, and social distancing and, you know, and all that. It would, you only have one test positive and being asymptomatic. So, that's, that's, that's awesome too. So I, there was a discussion between our group and, and Greg today, our friend of the podcast, Greg, about what if it actually matters who this person is. And, and my argument was it really doesn't matter who the person is because whoever they are, they have the time now to, to get ready. And, and, and obviously it, it, it banks into their conditioning and, and their um, the rhythm with the with their, with their teammates, especially if it was say Ian book. And I'm not saying it is Ian book. Uh, in fact, it probably isn't, uh, probably you know, isn't. Uh, I saw yeah. him on a Facebook video today. Um, yeah. So with some players at a table. So it, the question is, I, the question I want to pose to you guys is a, does it matter, um, who it is and B, um, are we looking at this the wrong way? Or should we be, should we be actually nervous that only one player has tested positive and four have tested positive for the antibody. Oh, uh, that's the slippery dog. The, that's the elephant in the room. All uh, right. So I, l- let me address that real quick. Number one, okay. I, I do think that it does matter who it is, okay. uh, but only in the sense of if it is somebody who is a leader of the team, like, like any, like if it was an Ian book, not necessarily, not necessarily because he's the quarterback, but because he is the leader of the offense. Liam Eikenberg would be something. Dalen Hayes is another, you know, solely for the fact that uh, regardless of, uh, of what little or what they do during this time, that's still a leader and a leader's voice that you would want out there. So, so yes, it, I think it matters, but it, I have it's, a not a, to that. it's not a huge thing to me. I don't think that that's the right approach to it at all. 
I think I, if if I, in in Greg had mentioned it, and I agreed with him because that's my thinking as well. If there was a player on Notre Dame's roster that were to get COVID nineteen asymptomatically, I would want it to be Ian Book. He'll be quarantined for fourteen days, and then he's got the antibodies. They're not exactly sure at this point if um, there's they're they're not they are unsure at this particular moment if you can contract it twice. Or whether or not, um, and that certainly could change as the the virus mutates uh, as the fall progresses. But if he gets it out of the way asymptomatically in June, we don't need to be sweating bullets in early November if Ian Book's going to get a positive test for sort of like chicken pox, right? The chicken pox theory, right? Oh, we're, we are not pushing that. <laughs> I am not pushing that. That is a terrible idea. No, I'm not saying herd immunity. I'm not. I'm not advocating for herd immunity. I'm just. Well, I, I can see it both ways. Not everybody's going to be asymptomatic. You know, right, uh, right. locally, I don't know if you guys have heard any stories like this, but locally here in, in Northern New York, we had a we had a person who tested positive. Um, they did the the quarantine and all followed all the guidelines or whatever. Uh, had two negative tests. And then two weeks later, tested positive again. So uh, there was some talk about whether or not that, that you can contract this twice. And and as Brendan alluded to, I don't think anyone knows the answer. So if the if the question is it's one and done, then yeah, I mean, I think the argument would be try to get as many people sick in in June as possible. But because I don't know that it's one and done, um, I don't know that I would say that it's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing that they came back with one. So here's the question I'm going to ask you guys that is, I think it's the bigger elephant in the room is yes, this was, this was, this was great news uh, for Notre Dame today. You know, one asymptomatic player, uh, four with antibodies. That's very low. Obviously look at, look at LSU, look at Clemson, look at Texas. Right. Uh, But my, I guess the two things here is, Oh hell! I forgot the one thing. Why <laughs> <laughs> oh, forget? There are four players in court. Well, as I as I scramble to find the bottle of bourbon, uh, I guess the bigger the bigger overall thing, I guess, uh, is what about the season? I mean, that's great for Notre Dame and all, but you have to have teams to play. And so I think as we, you know, as we, you know, march towards the beginning of what we think is going to be the season, is if there's all sorts of problems with this, you know, throughout the country, you know, like K state shut it down. Uh, are there, is there still going to be a season? Is it, is it, I, I have a hard time believing that it's going to be anything like we thought it was going to be maybe just two weeks ago when I think two weeks ago, we were all, no, I, I'm not going to speak for everybody. I think there was a lot more optimism a couple weeks ago. Uh, but now I think, you know, with, with the stuff that's coming out is like, uh, maybe we got a little bit ahead of ourselves. Uh, and look at this. Is, does that strike you guys? I think it is mm, to borrow a uh, to 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 borrow a phrase, um, maybe not as bad as, as Jude's phrase, but maybe a little worse. <laughs> it is too big to fail. The college football <laughs> season is too big to fail. There is too much money to there are entire athletic departments on the line. Um, kids are probably going to, I mean, they're going to want to play in all likelihood. Um, there's, but does this become an XFL situation where we're, we're gutting it out for three or four weeks and then all of a sudden we have to 
we have to shut it down just because we can't field enough competitive teams. I mean, Vince, I mean Greg, Greg Vince asked McMahon me a question. really in charge here, so. Yeah. Greg asked me a question one night, and he basically said, what number of positive tests during the, during the, during the uh, football season would be enough to shut it down? For a team? So, well, across college football. And so I was saying, you know, well, if you've got 85 scholarships players on a team or whatever, um, if I would say maybe 10. So 12 percent um, on each team, I think that's enough to be real worrisome. But I'm not sure that they shut it down for two or th- two or three a week. You know, I'm not sure. I think they just continue to do what they're doing right now, which is isolating, self-quarantine and stuff. The other thing I, I start thinking of is, you know, I don't know what I don't know how HIPAA plays into this or the university's protocol about keeping privacy, medical kids privacy uh, in regards to student athletes. I know it's changed a lot. I don't I don't claim to know all the rules, but it's going to become obvious that when people sit out for two weeks right. and then they come back and they don't look like they're limping or they don't look like they got a bum shoulder. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how coaches are going to do this dance where they say, oh, be like the Dexter, that, the Dexter William dance. Yeah. Like, like this guy in Austin, this guy's not yeah. available. OK, why is he not available? Is it an academic issue? Is it a covid issue? Is it a smoke the ganja issue? Like, you know, I, I would I, imagine they just pull off the Band-Aid for if it's if it's a covid issue. Well, that's the thing is you got the University of Georgia who's refusing to say how many pl- players tested positive for covid. Like somehow this is some sort of competitive disadvantage. I don't understand that at all. Right. But if you got if you got everybody treating it like. You know, some people are reporting the names. Some people are reporting the numbers, not telling you the names. Some people aren't even telling you, you know, everyone's, you know, some schools. I don't know if there's a school out there that would say, um, yeah, we have zero, even if they had they actually had more than zero. Oh, what, what's going on with him? Oh, he's got a tough final. So we're, we're sitting him out this week or, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if they just start actively lying to the media about this because they don't want to shut this down, because as Brendan alluded to. There's a lot of money at stake here. And I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, the University of Oregon, whose players came out and said, we want an independent medical professional. UCLA. UCLA. Because they don't apologize. trust Chip Kelly. Yes. So I thought I thought of Chip Kelly and I thought of Oregon. So UCLA, apologize. So UCLA, the players said, we want an independent person here because we don't know that the coaching staff has our best interests in heart. Whoa. You know, and, and we've talked about this ad nauseum. Which is like, you know, uh, Ian Book spikes a fever before the Clemson game. Do you keep him out? Is that enough of, you know, to say that he's got a COVID symptoms, or do you let him play because kids with fevers? <laughs> by the way, kids with fevers have played Notre Dame games and played pretty well. You know what I mean? Uh, so, did you ever hear of a guy named uh, Joe Montana? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, so, well, there is definitely a uh, Notre Dame media. Um, "Quote unquote media member that is advocating for guys just to play, <laughs> so. right? Which is a good thing he's not a medical professional in charge of the the welfare of student athletes. You know, that's like I say all I got to say about that. But um, you know, so these are really thorny questions that don't believe have been resolved, and I don't know that they have answers to. And everyone is shotgunning this two weeks at a time. And to be honest with you, I don't think I could. I don't think I blame anybody because I think that's all you can do." Um, you know, we got another we got another notice as a club today saying um, you don't have to put in your money for the for this for the tickets that you that you guys are going to give out to your your members. We won 40 tickets to the Clemson game. Oh, that's not due until July 15th. Now, that's like the second or third time that they push that 
that deadline back. And I'm, I'm not, I think it's because they don't want to take our money and then give it back to us if they decide that those are the, t- those are the tickets that they're not going to honor, right? And so the ticket office is flying by the seat of its pants. And honestly, I don't blame them because I think there's just not enough information. And like you guys said, two weeks ago, all of the narrative was, this is great. Somebody positive signs. Look at New York State. It's opening back up. It's, you know, it, it, we're going through these phases, the whole thing. You know, we're beating this. And now it's like, Holy cow! Arizona is is out. Florida is Par- on fire. Paraguay, you know, like you know, we're getting we're getting the you know, Austin is a hot spot. You know, like we're 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 in full panic alert mode, right? And so we just can't to to. And I've said this a billion times. I feel like I'm saying this every podcast, but I I believe this in my bones, which is any prediction that we make in June about. What's going to happen to the season, whether it's a truncated season or no season at all? We just we just run the risk of sounding so foolish because we just don't know. And so we can talk about the iterations. You know, oh, what happens if the Patriot lead says conference only? Okay, well now Syracuse needs a game, and is is that a good thing or a bad thing for Notre Dame? You know, et cetera, et cetera. We can go down those roads and talk about those as hypotheticals, but to say, oh, it's going to be X, Y, or Z, it just it, it, there's just so many variables that are just running around right now. Uh, just get just crazy, you know? Yeah. And I think it's just going to be, it's going to be a, a long, I mean, it's all those variables, none of, yeah, none of them are going away. Just like my second, my second part of that, that I had forgotten was like Notre Dame students come school starts on August 10th. Uh, and so now you have, okay. So you have this quarantined, um, you know, football team, uh, but then everybody comes back on the 10th. So how is that going to work? Uh, I mean, I, I the think good Notre news Dame is, is if they get infected from the, the the students when they come back, at least school doesn't start two weeks before Navy, right? I mean, but that's the heart of camp. You know what I was thinking about today? Is this is now is it a net positive or a net negative now that Notre Dame, which prides itself on not having athletic dorms, doesn't have athletic dorms? You're mixing the you're mixing the football players and with, with the general population. Yeah, this is I, this is the year where you need the you need. I was going to say, I think this for this time only, this is actually probably a bad thing. You know, right now they're sequestered in the Morris Inn, if I understand it correctly. Um, yeah, right. And so they're away from anybody else who might be roaming around campus, whether that be right. I don't know if it's summer students or or, or just just staff, you know, people who keep up uh, Notre Dame the facilities or whatnot. Uh, so they're not mixing with other people. They're just mixing with themselves. And I understand the whole idea behind not having athletic dorms. But I'm telling you, maybe this year you don't want your guy just hanging out in alumni with his buds, you know? Yeah, the, I think that, that that's a very good case. And it, and it should be. This this is a 2028-2019, y'all. <laughs> 2020, it, it's different. Uh, so y- different things need to happen. And I think that would be a – Smart move. If I mean, you have to imagine they're not going to stay in the Morris Inn for the entire football season. Uh, Maybe. They're going to have to go in. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I say that with certainty, and then you say maybe, and then I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe they just do stay there. Maybe Notre but, Dame wins the national championship because they're the proverbial last man standing. <laughs> well, Georgia, Georgia will be right there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, mysteriously yeah. lost. Three staff members to uh, to an illness they won't des- describe, but they're there. 
Because they're not really as a number. I like my I like my chances against uh, Georgia and their overrated grad transfer quarterback Jamie Newman, who never impressed me once at Wake Forest. Could you imagine? Um, like I like that. Bad, thing. Could you imagine bad blood if uh, you know a team? Who, who do we play the week before Clemson? I don't even know the schedule. Um, uh, it's not Pitt, but God, if it was Pitt. Um, <laughs> no, it's uh, I don't know. I, I feel like it's an ACC team, I, right? I, I, I'm feeling exposed right here because uh, uh, give me one. <laughs> it is uh, it is oh, the Duke, Duke Blue Devils. Duke. Duke. Okay, the fighting. So we, we go play Duke, right? And then after the game or two days after the game, it's revealed that 10 of our players are sick. And now we have like a lifelong grudge against Duke because, you know, eight, eight of our star <laughs> players couldn't play against Clemson because the Duke play, you know, the Duke medical staff wasn't uh, upfront about the fact that, you know, these players were, you know, what rivalry trophy you make out of that. Here's yeah. The problem. Bronze, re- bronze respirator. Here's the problem <laughs> is that, when do players get in trouble during the college football season? It's during the bye week, right? Or that week between the end of camp and the begin, like, and the kind of oh, like yeah, yeah, they yeah, give them that yeah, week yeah. off, right? Yeah. yeah, that's when the the six happen, right? Although Notre Dame has been, it's been a lot since 2016. Knock on wood. We we've had any issues. Yeah. Uh, with uh, with that, I would like to point out that Duke is. On a bye week before they play Notre Dame. So if Duke players are going to be getting into some mischief, maybe um, going out to the bars, uh, cracking a few pops uh, with some friends. uh, That's true. They might not. uh, Maybe they do. (laughs) Celebrating a win against uh, North Carolina the week before. Here's my promise. Here's my promise to our our listeners. I am not going to be the guy that gets upset when college kids act like college kids and get sick. Okay. When I was in college, I thought I was invincible. I got mono and I still was like, ah, ah whatever, you know, like, I'm not, say, I'm not saying mono is equal to COVID-19. I'm not trying to equate them or whatever. You gotta I'm just kiss more people to get mono. <laughs> um, so I thought that I was invincible. I did a lot of st- stupid things that were most mostly impulsive, peer pressure type things or whatever. So if a player goes out to a bar and he contracts COVID-19 or whatever, I'm not going to be the guy who says, this is a failure of leadership. <coughs> you know, I'm going to say, look, college kids were acting like college kids. What did you, what did you expect? Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, um, and, 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 you know, look, they can do all of this, the social distancing they want and the team meetings and um, in the classroom and wherever. But you know what? On Friday night, when your friends say I'm throwing a party over, at, you know, off campus housing or whatever, like you're going to go if you want to. And you're not going to mask up because everyone else is not going to be masked up, you know, and then, so it's going to get spread around like it's going to happen. So that's why I get I get nervous about no college football this season just because I think if I if I had to bet college kids being college kids or college kids being like, you know what, football is so important. I'm going to social distance and I'm not going to go to these parties or whatever. I'm going to bet on college kids being college kids all the time, 10 times out of 10. Do you think that I mean, that's sort of a nuanced take. Do you think that it's it's actually safer for the kids to have football there to keep them out of certain scenarios as sort of like a carrot to dangle in play. Cause I mean, most kids who are college age, I mean, I don't, I don't even need to say it. I can tell you with 
absolute certainty when I go out into the world wearing my mask. People in their high school kids and college age kids are wearing masks at a significantly lower rate than, you know, millennials like myself. And I'm, I mean, I'm not going to say this is everyone, but Brennan, we've had we've had more than our fair share of people who have missed games because they smoke pot. Right. Yes. We've had more than a fair share of people who miss games because they couldn't outrun the taxi driver <laughs> when they were drunk. You know, yes. um, so you had a six star recruit who Brian now, now you're telling me about a disease that that probably will will be like the flu for me and probably won't kill me. And I will recover from it in a couple of weeks, and I might not have to worry about it again for the rest of the year. And that's sort of, and and you're not, it's not guaranteed that I'll get it. It's a, it's kind of a nebulous out there, or whatever. And you might get it. I, I can't, I, I can't imagine that guys are going to say, look, the grind is just too much. Like I, I gotta, I gotta focus on, on football. I gotta, I gotta bear down. I can't go to this. I gotta be responsible about not getting COVID nineteen. I am going to mask up. I'm not going to go to these parties or whatever. I just, I, that's not the way that I operated, and I can't imagine that that's the way that anybody else operated. If they do it, great. But maybe then we're that's, probably going to have a, a probably pretty intact college football team. But I just don't believe it. But maybe that's what that's kind of what I was alluding to with the sort of leadership we saw on display from Dalen Hayes on Juneteenth. Right? Is maybe that's maybe that's someone who might be able to get guys to follow follow the um, the message. That's the sort of leadership, and that's and, and that's why I kind of brought up LSU is those were kids being kids, and I don't fault the LSU kids for going out to the club when they just got oh. back from being locked up all spring. But that didn't, that didn't happen. Sun's out, man. They didn't have that. Yeah, sun is out, and you are in Baton Rouge. Um, <laughs> but maybe, maybe when you have the sort of – would that have happened if – LSU had the same, were returning back the same players that they had this year because they had just leadership for days. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I think it's, it's hard for any of us, you know, to say, and it's, you know, it's, it's different cultures for every program too. Uh, so even if you were a massive leader, maybe you're like, these guys need to go blow off some steam. Everyone's been locked up. You know, it should, we should be all right. I mean, you just, you never know. Well, and the other thing oh. is, you know, Dalen Hayes probably doesn't doesn't have carry the same weight with all eighty five guys, right? No. So Dalen no. Dalen Hayes says something. Maybe Ade Ade Ogadeji like it takes it to, as gospel truth or whatever, right? But what if uh, Trevor Rulin? Uh, Trevor Rulin, bad bad example. He's not on the team anymore. Uh, what if uh, Robert Hainsey? Uh, yeah, he says, transferred. Remember? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, what if he says? What if he says? Um, you know, uh, okay. Dalen, Dalen could be Dalen. He's telling us to mask up by, you know, whatever. Um, I just want to have a couple of pops with my friends or whatever. I don't want to have to, you know, I'm not, I'm not worried about it. It's just four, it's just four friends. You know what I mean? And he justifies it, you know, away. Like you, you guys are absolutely right. I, I don't know how much weight, it, but I, what I do know is that's why we usually have multiple captains, right? Cause if one of them, you don't gel with one of them, then hopefully you gel with another one. And then that becomes kind of your account. Your, you know, like the SWAT team, your well, accountability. Hainsey is a captain, right? He was a captain on 2019. And he is, yeah, I'm, I'm coming up with terrible examples. I, I got to pick yeah. a guy who's, who's more, <laughs> more down the rung. Um, Joe uh, Wilkins, Brad, Jr. Brad Lindsay, Joe Wilkins, I mean, Jr. Brad is Lindsay like, yeah. showed a, an extreme amount of, 
uh, like leadership and personal responsibility too. You're going to have problems finding that on this 2020 roster. Um, I, I don't mean, know. Mick Asap seems like a real character. Let's let's describe yeah, Mick, bad uh, bad yeah. intentions to him. I just for the sake of this argument. So. Uh, let's say so, let's say Drew. Sorry, no, Mick, no, no. I have this. the one. I have the one. Drew White. He made a terrible decision to go to go snowboarding. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. There it is. And then um, Kofi Wardlow's like, hey, I have met a couple people over, you know, and Drew's like, yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun, you know? So. And then meanwhile. Yeah, it's like, is Sarah going to be there? One person, yeah, one person I'm brings an, an asymptomatic carrier, brings COVID to the party, and then, you know, we got an Ezekiel Elliott situation, you know? So. All right, we're going to move on from this because uh, we we got we're time constricted tonight. Uh, if you can believe that, uh, but one thing we the last thing we need to touch on here uh, is some comments from uh, Notre Dame basketball coach Mike Bray. Uh, Jude, why don't you uh, why don't you let that loose a little bit? Yeah, so Mike Bray was on uh, John Rothstein's, I believe it's a radio show, uh, College Hoops Today, um, and he had he was asked about the NCAA. Um, considering implementing a one-time transfer exception for all student athletes. So the way this works, if, if I understand it correctly, is you basically get one free shot where you say, hey, I transfer to this school without penalty, and it can be a school on the same division. You don't have to do the FBS to FCS or you know Division One to Division Two or whatever uh, to get that year of eligibility. Basically, you get a one-shot uh, you know, free reign or whatever. So if a guy's unhappy at Notre Dame, he wants to go to Vanderbilt the next year, he doesn't have to wait a year, right. To, to continue playing. And right. so Mike Bray, who I, who I understand to be, and I could be wrong about this cause I don't follow hoops uh, as closely as some other people, but has always been a guy who's been too open to taking transfers and who under, who understands when people transfer out of his program, um, is unhappy about this. And I think the reason he's unhappy about this is a little bit about the student athlete, but it's a lot more about the NCAA. So I just want to read you the, um, the quote and it's, I'm taking it from a story that fighting Irish wire did today. So you can, you can uh, check them out. He said, uh, every transfer I've taken both here at Notre Dame. And when I was at Delaware did the year in residency and they're better off for it. Is it this generation? Ooh, ooh. That's an editorial comment of me. Ooh, ooh. Um, back to Bray. It, it, it is this culture that they're just impatient about waiting a year and getting stronger as a basketball player. What about the academic component and the graduation rates? So right there, it, it does sound like he's a little bit saying, you know, well, my generation would have waited a year or whatever, which is – I got it. It's silly, right? But then he goes on to say it's disappointing on the part of the NCAA and I think a little weak on their part. Quite frankly, their explanation is we've tried to weed through these waivers. Some of them uh, have been presented with false information and lies, and we're forced to make a decision on whether or not this young man should be eligible right away. I just think it's a safe political position to back it up and make a one-time waiver for all transfers. I thought we could handle that stronger in Indianapolis. I definitely think that is the argument. They can't get through waivers. They feel like there's too much false information. There's too much work and a potential lawsuit if they grant it for one young man and not the other. Coaches sound off publicly. They get the bad press. They be the NCAA. I just don't understand why we can't see the big picture. A year in residency is a good thing. So, I, I, I don't know. I don't. I let's put it this way. I think I strongly disagree with Bray. Uh, I think I do too. In a, yep. In a, in a lot of ways here, with as far as 
I, I truly believe that there should be the one-time waiver. Absolutely, 100% believe that they should have that. But I do agree with Bray that so much of this is, is the NCAA's fault uh, for the way they've handled the, uh, you know, the, the transfer waivers they have now, uh, where there is you know, zero transparency. You never know what's happening. Um, it, it's, just, it's, a, it's a big, giant fucking mess. Uh, and so, you know, in a, in a sense it is, it, it would be them like, you know, getting rid of that responsibility, but at the same time, good. <laughs> I mean, the, I think the less control the NCAA has over something is probably the better, uh, at least in this case, it, it really is. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think the one time transfer and maybe that I get what he's saying. And, you know, you want these guys to, to to get a chance to acclimate and all that stuff and yada, yada, yada. It's an old argument and and it's not wrong. It's just not applicable. It's just not for everybody. Um, But I think, you know, that is something that you could do by sitting the guy on the bench then. If he, you know, if he transfers to your school, if you don't think he's ready, you're not going to play him. But let me let me I, ask you this. I, I have a hard time believing Cormac Ryan on last year's roster. Right, that's what I'm saying. I have a hard time believing Cormac Ryan wouldn't have played last year. You know what I mean? Like right. he would have been ready. So let right me there. ask you you guys this question. Do you think that his feeling about this would be different if he was the head football coach instead of the head basketball coach? Is the fact that he only has I might be wrong about this, 12 scholarship players as opposed to 85 that the loss of one means so much more to him? Than the loss of uh, one off a off a team of eighty five. I mean, look, you could always argue. Well, I if you lose mean, Ian, Ian Book, I mean, uh, obviously. But Rostin pointed out too, like the reason why Mike Bray has been successful at Notre Dame. A large reason why is because of the transfers that he's got in to the Eric program. Sherman, right? So, Sherman so, so, so Bray, lo- Bray looks at it from the from the point of like he thinks he knows what he's doing with these guys, and you know, the, and the year being sat and all that stuff. You know, but I don't know. I just, <laughs> I, I think you're right. It, the one guy out is, is huge, but you know, you're a guy like Bray. I mean, you're getting these guys to transfer in anyways. You're, you're getting guys that route. I, I, I guess I don't see what the, what the scuttlebutt would be. Um, I always and, feel like when they talk about worst case scenarios and, and we've done this with whether it's, you know, expanding the college football player for even having a playoff at all, um, you know, BCS versus, you know, uh, the college football alliance or whatever the, the, the predecessor of the BCS was. Everybody always says, well, this is going to be it. This is what's going to kill college football, college right. basketball, whatever. Um, and it never tends to be as bad as they make it out to be. Now, or the transfer close. portal. The transfer portal, I think, had some unintended consequences that co- that coaches didn't quite see was gonna was gonna happen uh, in terms of when guys would say, you know what, I'm shutting this down. I'm not gonna be, you know, I'm not gonna waste my my four games and you know and and sort of I'm gonna put myself in now or whatever. Um, but I don't think that's a net net. So far, I don't believe that's been a net negative thing. I think that most coaches have kind of rolled with the punches and they've kind of adapted to the new normal. And honestly, uh, you know, it could it turn into a rich gets richer situation. Yeah, hypothetically. Um, but that could happen I, in another thing. It happens in recruiting. I mean, if you're well, a, if you're a rich team and you have a uh, a kid that's sitting behind somebody um, who's also very good, 
right? When you're stockpiling five stars and then that five star is like, well, wait a minute, I can go play for Mike Bray in the same conference. Why not transfer over to Notre Dame? And if this basketball thing doesn't work out, I can get a degree at a fantastic university. I don't, I, I've never understood the, um, the griping from especially a school like Notre Dame when you have all of the advantages to accept kids to transfer to you and very few right. disadvantages. Well, what and about this, though? Is it well, easier that's to get the a thing kid that, qualified at the University of Michigan than it is to get him qualified at Notre Dame as a transfer? The answer is I I, I think so, right? So is is that what Bray's worried about? Is he worried about, look, if, if guys start leaving my team, it's not easy for me. I can't just pick up I don't know. I mean, we just, gotta, we just got to transfer from NC State, for God's sakes. I mean, it is what it is. Well, they just yeah. got to transfer. They got Trey Works, I mean, right, from Santa Cruz. Right. And he's from Santa and, Cruz. And he was, I, he was deciding between Arizona, Butler, and what? And I've, in, talked uh, about, I've talked about this quite a bit, it seems, you know, recently uh, about, the, uh, about the transfer portal and grad transfers. And, you know, grad transfers isn't, it has nothing to do with what, you know, Bray's uh, talking about, really. But, you know, like the transfer portal itself, you brought it up. I think it's a great thing and not just for the students. It's a great thing for the schools. You had to, you know, before the, they had the, the public portal, it was kind of hit or miss about who was going to go. You know, you had to, there's a lot more work involved. Now it's completely out there. It, it's it is a, just another form of recruiting and it makes it easier for schools to target guys that, uh, you know, they could go after, you know, it, it's a lot like the Juco uh, you know, I, I compared it to the to, to it's a better version of the Juco route. Um, so, I mean, it, but people thought that was, this was going to kill, you know, there were people that were all worried about the transfer portal, you know, like, oh, man, this is going to make it nuts. And maybe it looks a little high now, but I mean, it, it seems to be working out for everybody involved, players yeah. and coaches. Um, so I, I don't I, see. I think, that, I think there's been lessons learned on the transfer portal on both sides, too, because. As we've found out, there are many more kids in the transfer portal than there are spots available to take kids, right? And so everyone thinks, oh, I'm good enough to play X, Y, or Z. I'll just put my name in the transfer portal. And then they get a they get a re- awakening where they're like, oh, my God, uh, nobody wants me because I haven't, I haven't shown enough on tape or I haven't proved enough or my grades aren't good enough or whatever, you know – whatever, I, there's no need at my position or whatever. So I think that's been kind of a, a great thing, which is, um, you know, it's empowering the unpaid student labor and giving them more power to make a decision for the betterment of, of their career. But at the same time, it's giving them a valuable life lesson in that uh, just because you're unhappy doesn't mean there's necessarily a spot right. somewhere else. Obviously, And, and some know, of these guys are, are returning. They put their name in the transfer portal come back. And, and and here's here's a here's a uh here's an example like uh Samson James who was a five-star running back went to Indiana uh, uh committed to Ohio State uh then decommitted uh, and ended up at Indiana uh put his name in the transfer portal after last year. Uh but guess where he's going to be playing football at next, this year? Indiana. He put it in, tried to figure some things out, thought all right, Indiana is still my better option and stayed. But at least he has that in his mind. You know, he, he doesn't have that doubt of should I have Correct. because he did it. Uh, so, and I, I think of, of everything else, at least that they have that option. At least you know, like, unlike declaring for the NFL draft, which I'm a proponent. If you declare for the draft, well, unless you're a, and you don't sign Arizona an agent, State. 
No, 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 no. Unless you're a punter for Arizona State, that's very true. Yes, who, who signed with who signed with an agent and went undrafted and is still uh, coming back to college football. That right there, not to get off topic, uh, which I thought was hilarious that Singer kept worried about being off topic in our interview, and I'm like, you were on the OFD podcast, bro. Yeah, welcome. But, yeah, yeah, you're one of us now. Uh, but uh, you know that does that open up a can of worms? Uh, like you have a precedent now you have an absolute precedent. So if you were to, uh, especially now in this day and age, when we are talking about equality and social justice, uh, throw that in front of the NCAA's face. Like, Hey man, I didn't get drafted. I had an agent. I'm coming back to school regardless of the other scenarios you have involved. I, I got to think that that's a precedent now that they're going to have to wrestle with. Uh, and they, they open up a Pandora's box with it. Uh, which, you I know, so. I say Pandora's box sh- and, that, and that is a I'm derogatory statement. And I am not, I, I don't mean that in derogatory. I think that's a good thing. I would, I do too. I would have loved for Tony Jones jr. To go, so, you know, him going undrafted and think, and then after all that process thinking, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to school, you know, but I mean the scenario, it, it would, it would have to be a, it would have to be a two-way street, right? Which is that he would have a hopefully honest sit-down conversation with with Brian Kelly, where Brian Kelly said to him, "Look, um, I love you, Tony. You've been great to our program. Uh, we have we have a pretty crowded running back room. And and to be honest with you, if you go and declare for the NFL draft and you get picked, I wish you all the best of luck. If you don't get picked, just understand in the interim." We could be going out for grad transfer, or we could be recruiting through, you know, to get a freshman and, in. And here. I just kind of threw um, Tony out as just a, as a no. no but what I'm saying is, if they, if, they have, if they have that conversation where they're like, "Look, just so we're all on the same page here, I would love to welcome you back if I had room for you. I don't know three months from now if I will have room for you. Um, if you're willing to take that chance, I'm willing to have that discussion with you if you go on and undrafted. But obviously, I hope you get drafted. Well, right? the reason that so the then, reason that the punter gave was that he wasn't able to go through the normal process because they're combine and pro days, right? And I just I I do not understand for the life of me how no one else besides this punter had the same type of experience because of COVID and are. Trying to well, trying to file the same thing. I was going to say, is yeah. anyone else asking? I, I don't believe so. And I just, I don't understand that. And if they are and getting denied, why? I I mean, this guy had a fucking agent. Even. Pat McAfee that's, never that's went like to the, the no-no of the no-nos of the NCAA. Pat McAfee never went to the NFL combine and he became one of the greatest punters in NFL history <laughs> and is one of the greatest podcasters in podcast history. So I don't want to hear from a punter who's complaining about not going to the combine. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it had to be a punter, right? When yeah. you say Arizona State punter, are you talking about um, Ben Turk's like little brother? Yes. Is it? Yes. Is it a Turk? Yeah, it's ah, a Turk. Interesting. Yeah, it's his little brother, right? Isn't it his little brother? Uh, you Michael, know, I'm not. Honestly? I'm not. I think they're. I think they're related. I they're don't related. know if they're brothers or cousins. Cousins. But- Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's a I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know exactly. Apologies to all know. the Turks out there, including Turk from Scrubs. I apologize to him as well. Including <laughs> Turkish from Snatch and Turkish from Snatch. Perfect. And, no, and thanks, Turkish, Turkish delight. I'm sweet enough. <laughs> oh shit. Well, if we were if we were at the point in the podcast where we were quoting Snatch, 
Uh, I think we have uh, we've exhausted our time. Uh, Jude's got a busy day tomorrow, and uh, I don't. So, but I got a lovely evening ahead of me of uh, hanging out with the kids. So, happy Father's Day, by the way, to all you fathers out there. Uh, uh, Brendan's got a, his third on the way, and what was that now? A month? A month and a half? Uh, July 29th. Woo, Bubba! How's your wife doing? Uh, she is very excited to be nine months pregnant in 95 degree <laughs> heat in Michigan. Uh, <laughs> that humidity we just got was pretty sweet, wasn't it? It was, it was awesome. It was like 96 uh, degrees on Sunday on Father's Day. It was great. Any chance that the, the doll makes an appearance at the birth? Um, oh, I still, so, so I did throw the doll when we were driving. I did throw the doll off into a cornfield. Um, yeah, it. wink, 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 Brendan. Sure you did. Listen, she, she does download the podcast. I, oh, okay. and she does listen, Okay, but not everyone. So I don't want to say if I do or don't have one, <laughs> have the doll, but <laughs> I, I, I can't stop laughing. <laughs> Thinking about the insanity of that doll showing up in, in the, fuck, in the fucking story. hospital. <laughs> <laughs> you might, she might call her lawyer if that, if that dolls up in the hospital. Uh, so, you, did you guys have a? Did you have a good Father's Day? Uh, yeah, I did. So it was, you know, kind of low key, just because we're p- preparing for elections here in uh, upstate New York, and I would encourage everybody to to go vote if they haven't already. Probably all your primaries are done by now, but just in case you have a primary tomorrow or when you're listening to this today, um, you know. Exercise the right. Use your voice. Exactly. That's, that's how it's going to get done. Uh, I had uh, Ryan, uh, my oldest son, had his first communion yesterday. So like oh, Father's wow. Day was absolutely non-existent, which was <laughs> which was absolutely okay with me, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have to didn't have to sit through uh, uh, any kind of nonsense. But uh, oh man, was it, but, was uh, that your first? mass back was it a mass yes it was it was the first mass back since march and i'm not going back until the bishops pull the dispensation it was just seven uh seven kids i think it was seven uh they were going through the first communion so it was just them and you know and families and we were all like in different spots in the church um, yeah you know i think I, I lectured and so i got to see the whole crowd i can't imagine there was 50 people in a in a in a 11 a.m. mass that usually does like maybe 300, 400. So um, it was very yeah, weird. Yeah, we even did ours like at a different time, like at two o'clock. Yeah, looking out I, and seeing everybody. And I thought we were going to get up. out of it. So I thought we were going to kind of get out of like, I, I just kind of thought this was a, 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 a really minor mass. You know what I mean? Like a quick, quick mass. Uh, and it was not. Uh, not anymore. Um, quick mass. I know that. I know that. Uh, well, I mean, when my niece, uh, my niece had her first communion two weeks, uh, two weeks ago up at, um, uh, St. Pius in, in South Bend and Granger, and they didn't have any singing. Uh, it, it, it was very quick. It was like a 40, 45 minute ordeal. And they had a lot of kids. Uh, so I was like, yeah, we're going to, this is how it's going to be. Nope. They're getting them songs in y'all. The music, the music people. Oh, they were not been biting at the chomp. Well, my wife was, you know, my wife was, uh, she taught the second grader. This is her, her class, her and another gal. And they wanted the, the music lady wanted the kids to get up and do a song. 
And my wife was the one like, no, they're not going to sing. <laughs> like, this, this is not needed. This is not necessary. And part of the reason was that uh, St. Pius didn't do it is because, you know, singing, they say, is a good way to spread that, you know, because yeah. you're, you're you know, so right there. projecting. Did you get projecting. to transubstantiate? I haven't transubstantiated in months. Yeah, I did get a host, with, but I almost choked on I almost choked on mine because I was laughing because even after all the after all the time, a little pog dispenser, time, right? After, well, no, I wish after you know showing Ryan how to you know do it and all that, all the times you show him, he still flat out just tried to grab it out of his hand. Oh no! <laughs> oh man! And so and so I was chuckling. He wasn't the only one. So I was chuckling when I got mine and like, he, he I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> got that one stuck so in the back of the throat. There, there is a gentleman at our, at our mass that I see all the time. He's always at the mass when I'm there, um, who comes in with holding at least one child. He gets down on his knees. It's not a genuflect. It's a full on like kneeling in front of the priest. And then he yes, opens it. Do. He opens his mouth and I'm thinking, Oh man, like I, like you do you, but like if I'm a priest, I'm like I gotta stop doing this. Dude, that's so do they, you know? What do they do? Yeah. So what are they doing now? The are they busting run, out the like uh, a box of wine, just slapping it to the Franzia, and they open up the tap and they just pour the wine down your gullet? No, we didn't do any wine. We just did we just did communion, and the priest made a big show of using the hand sanitizer before he started dispensing, wearing a mask, and then using the hand sanitizer afterwards. So you got the blood. Having, so the body, but no blood. Correct. Oh. Yeah. See, we, we had asked about, um, about, you know, cause we, there's, we got a bunch of chalices. So we had asked if, if just the, uh, the first communion kids could have like, their, like a single chalice, you know, for, for their blood. And I think we were, they were going to do that. Uh, but then, uh, a, a bishop's letter that, w- that we end up seeing end up, you know, stating no. So they said, you know, not going to do that. So like, all right. But yeah, dude, I'd never, you know, people will take it from their mouth, you know, in their mouth and that's, and that's fine. And that's, uh, but like the, the practice, the guy that runs the whole thing was kind of like mocking people that take it in the hand. Like, you know, I, I don't know. They're like very hardcore conservative Catholic, uh, with some views that I don't share at all. Uh, but, <laughs> but you know, saying that this time it's okay hey, because of the COVID COVID thing. And I'm like, quick, quick, whatever, quick, quick right? question. Do you get COVID through your hand or through your mouth? I'm I'm just wondering aloud here. Uh, I'm pretty sure you get it. Um, uh, oh wait, what's the thing? Oh yeah, through orifices. Orifices. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. So yeah. of course, th- then so it was the same guy who when he took it, he did exactly what you said, and I had not seen that at mass. I had yeah, not leading up to that. That, I, that, is a, that is a first of all balancing a. Ch- child and this child is i don't know four years old or whatever this this is a hardcore this is a core exercise right here you're getting down this dude is like dressed to the nines he wears he always wears a a suit a matching pants and you know suit jacket a tie or whatever and it was easily 80 degrees in that church the other day i mean the mask that i was wearing it was like it was an endurance thing right because it was like this is too (laughs) this is too hot all I want to do is is remove it, but at the same time, I got to be just like everybody else, and and you know wear my mask and keep my social distance and be be the good uh, person or whatever. And then we had a dude who um, he passed out. He didn't like pass out, but he got he got shaky, and so they had oh, to sit him boy. down and get him orange juice and oh. and get him water and stuff like that. 
And, you know, he took off his mask, which I, I completely understand. Like, it's at some point, it just, he couldn't tolerate it. Like, but so. Then what's I, the point? Once his mask is off, it's like. Oh, and then, every, and then everyone's helping him, right? And then they're oh. handing him stuff. And it's just like, <laughs> look, and I'm not saying don't help the guy who's clearly dehydrated. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, like, when when we go to help our neighbor, like, all the protocols go out the window. Nobody's stopping it to give 20 seconds to their hands before they hand them the orange juice. You know? <laughs> Here's what I'm saying to all our Catholic listeners that I understand wanting to go to mass and the desire and, and, and it is real. And it is for, for sure that it, it is lacking uh, when you're just watching mass on TV, but that dispensation's there. You kind of got it. I say, use it. <laughs> I mean, Use the thing uh, for for what it is. I I, I don't know. I just I, I honestly until, think it's until been. Until the bishop says we gotta gr- go back, I'm good. Listen, you can buy some better tasting. For- you can buy some better tasting unleavened bread. Get yourself a fine Cabernet Sauvignon, and no, then you, you gotta, treat. No, the the right wine to use is like like a a Manischewitz. Like, oh, a bread, well, no, well that's. Man, uh, that's that, that's uh that's that's Hebrew wine. That's Jewish wine, right? That's right. kosher. That's what, that, but that's what that, that's what you use for. That's what communion wine is a lot of times. It's, it's kind of like a man of shivas. Am uh, I am I alone in thinking that this has actually been kind of a, a a boon for parents with young kids? Because my when my kids go to mass, like sitting you know, in the lobby watching on the TV. Well, yeah, they're they, exactly exactly, and so now I can <laughs> sit them in front of my own TV. I can serve them breakfast, which uh, I'm sorry if that's a heresy and I, I apologize. But like, you know, that way. As long as the toast is unleavened, Jude. <laughs> so, I mean, let me, they're, let me put, they're sitting let me put this there. Way. They're, they're getting more than they're, they've been getting before. Um, I don't know. I just, you know. So let me put it this way. Transubstantiation. We showed up to 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 the mass on, uh, on Sunday uh, about – 25 minutes uh, before service was to start pictures or stuff like that was supposed to be going on. Um, apparently that wasn't exactly happening, but so I had Dylan with me, my youngest son, who is a bastard. Uh, I mean, he, he has <laughs> uh, knocked old ladies out with, uh, with cups. Uh, he is not a, a good churchgoer and he's big and strong and vocal and he's a fucking horse, man. And Hicksville right. Police so, Department putting all, pay, all points yeah, out for him. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, no shit. So anyway, so we're sitting there for 25 minutes, and it was just me and him. Yeah, Carrie was down with the class with the kids. Um, the rest of our family and my daughter was was sitting in a different spot uh, of the church. And it was just me and him. And so we're just sitting there shooting the shit for 25 minutes, just kind of like talking real soft, you know, and we're playing Thumb War and keeping things really low-key and – and I'm like, man, we're gonna glide right through this. This this kid finally finally made it. Carrie comes back within two minutes. He's an asshole. And <laughs> major, like you know, there's it's very loud as far as like uh, you know, just hey, I'm gonna ask you this question and it'll it just carrying throughout the entire church. Uh, you know, this is Ryan's day. And <laughs> here's Dylan, he's trying to push Ryan out, like he's uh, he's kneeling and praying. And Dylan's like pushing him to get out into the aisle. <laughs> it was like a freaking brawl. Uh, we ended up having to take him out anyways. It was it was a mess. So so yes, uh, so, my youngest home every has been okay. <laughs> yeah, my my youngest every single time ends up in that in that cry room or whatever that TV auxiliary yeah, room that Brendan's talking about. Those. Yeah, 
I, I wish I had money to donate to those because uh, we need them. But yeah, we don't have. When I grew up, you know, we, we they were everywhere. Uh, but this church in Hicksville does not have it, and it is sad. Listen, I'll put a good word in for the uh, to the bishop Toledo for you. Uh, I got some connections. I'll see what I can't do. There's a there's a at the uh, the new Saint the Saint Pius and and Granger is a, is amazing. It's a it's a new built church. Uh, it was just right next to the the one that they had, but they they went all out. This this place is just ridiculous. Uh, the amount of money that these people have to spend <laughs> on a building, uh, but they have all these cry rooms. And so we were up, we were up there with our family and, and, uh, and I had to take, all right, time to take Dylan to uh, the cry room. Cause he's starting to act up. So I start walking and I go, you go to the one and there was a lady in there with a, with a daughter. Uh, but the lady was the one who was bawling and going ballistic inside this room. And I'm like, Oh God, oh. I am not going in there. <laughs> uh, so I go into the next one. Uh, which I didn't see who anybody in there uh, walked down the hall and then through a door. Uh, and then I walked in and it was parents with two kids and their two kids were sleeping. And I walked in with Dylan and they looked at me like I was the devil himself uh, for <laughs> coming into this room where their children are sleeping. <laughs> so anyways, that's my experience. That's my la- the last experience with the cry room. Maybe. I don't know if it, I don't know if I told you the story, Josh, and I know we're getting a little long. But um, <laughs> I, took my, uh, I took my uh, youngest to uh, Easter mass at my parents' place, right? So it's everybody's dressed up, you know, it's the typical, uh, you know, full capacity Easter mass or whatever. And they start, and he does, he's not a regular churchgoer at this point. He's like maybe four, and we're not dragging his butt to church, you know. So um, so he's, he's unfamiliar with how it goes. So they they start in with the first song and some Easter song or whatever, and he shouts at the top of his lungs, "No, Day of the Diesels!" <laughs> oh, 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 yes. Which of course, then I immediately start laughing um, because he wants us to sing the Day of the Diesels theme song, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, but of course, I can't actually encourage this bad behavior. So, um, <laughs> you know, thankfully, I don't know maybe you should have. those around us were singing lift high the cross louder than he was saying Dave, the diesels. But, uh, yeah, that was, a, course, that was a fun moment. You were talking about, I would have said right? I would have done it. That's a, that's, that's, that's from uh, the book of St. Thomas, the Soder. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes, or yes second, yes. second St. Thomas, I believe. Sig- second yeah. letter. Oh, yes. Yes. Second uh, oh, letter to the, to the Sodorites. Yeah. Yes. Uh, on, on this podcast, we uh, respect the soda rights. That's right. <laughs> Brothers and sisters and fat controllers. Um, <laughs> All hail controller. <laughs> Every, everything pre Nickelodeon uh, apocalypse. <laughs> All uh, right, guys. Thanks for hanging in with us. I, I hope you got uh, got your Catholic podcast fix in there in the last twenty minutes. <laughs> you uh, can't. You can't say OFD without. Um, off topic for days. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, no, you can't. We, uh, I mean, make sure I send a note to Mike. Like, dude, you were just warming this up with the off topic. Don't you even worry about it. Uh, so, yeah, thanks again to to Mike for for coming on the show, and uh, thanks to you, Jude and Brendan, for for allowing me to return to my throne. Uh, and thanks to Greg for coming on last week. Appreciate it. So happy to have you back. <laughs> No, you're not. You just wait. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again, guys, and go Irish.